What's going on, everyone? DJ here with the Taurus Podcast. Back with Hector, reviewing another HBO Max movie. Not an original movie, but an HBO Max movie. Uh, and this one was actually a really good movie. Um, probably Hector's favorite from the way he's cummed all over it. Um, Skewed it on this movie the first time. I've already watched How many times have you watched it? Uh, I think three times. I watched it four times. Yeah, okay, so we're close on the number of watching it. Yeah, so, I mean, I watched it once. I started it with my wife, and then she fell asleep, so I finished it. Then the next day, she's like, oh, can we watch it again? Because I don't, she's like, I was too high to remember what happened. And I was like, like, okay. So we started it over from, like, the beginning, and then I showed it to, I can't remember if it was her parents or my parents, or my grandparents, I mean. Uh, so that made the third time. And uh, I should have watched it again because we were supposed to record this podcast like freaking two weeks ago when the movie came out. And then Texas decided to say, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah, and Texas was like, huh, yeah, you thought. You had plans? Had... <laughs> you thought you were going to go out on time? <laughs> yeah, you know we had a was... snowstorm and <sighs> it was it's terrible. In perspective, how bad that was. We did an episode before we even were going to record that one where we talked about you having COVID and Valentine's Day. And oh, I had put it right. And then shit got delayed so bad. It gets delayed because YouTube always takes forever to upload a video, especially if it's more than an hour and a half. And that doesn't matter how much Wi Fi you have, it's just YouTube. It's like you could upload it to fucking Reddit and Twitch faster than. But I just don't prefer those. Anyways, so you do that. The power goes off at my place. Power goes out. I'm stuck at my job. I have to go back. Then finally, I'm, by the time I'm literally able to upload, you don't even have COVID anymore. So I had to put that in the description. <laughs> like, hey, DJ doesn't have COVID anymore. I beat it that weekend of Valentine's. Like, I got rid of it that weekend of Valentine's. Exactly. Oh, man, but this movie, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about you ready to let him know? <sighs> Ooh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Uh, um, yeah, if I'm coughing in anything during this this fucking podcast, guys, I still have a cough. Like, that shit has not gone away. Um, but to be fair, you were, like, stuck in the cold at your house, so that's reasonable. Uh, I stayed heated the whole time. Well, I mean, we can't. We weren't. I guess we were cold for like a day, and then we had a generator the next day. That that's a whole other video. Like that's a that's a whole story we'll that we that have. The day Texas froze over, I'm already working on the thumbnail. We'll do that for the sausages uh, probably tomorrow. But for now, though, let's talk about this film, man. I'm really excited to talk about it. Standard format for everybody who doesn't pay attention. Even though this is the third goddamn movie we reviewed, we're gonna give you yeah. a brief review. Gonna give you a brief review, one out of ten score, and then we'll give we'll go in depth into spoilers and things of that nature. So my brief review, really good movie, solid acting, good story wise. I like the way how it was framed. There were small elements of it that I just wish they could have worked out a little bit better. The music, the set design, the Basically, the color palette, it looks... The acting. 
The acting was amazing. I'm putting this so far as the, as the highest. I'm giving this uh, out of all the movies that I reviewed, even coming in, even better than Joker. I'm giving this one an eight out of ten. Yeah, I agree. Eight out of ten. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the only reason is like not a perfect because this is based, you know, off like real life events. So when you have that kind of shit, it's really hard to give a movie like that kind of movie 10 out of 10 or anything like that. Because I mean, you can just look the shit up and you already know what's gonna fucking happen. Um, whereas like an original movie, you know, you, you gotta sit there and watch it all the way through to, um, I guess be wild by it. So there's that. Here, that's just just my opinion. So uh, I, I I heard the tra- I saw the original trailer, which because I'm I'm the guy who watches the trailers. You don't, but I watch them to like talk about the marketing and how do they go, and that's how I do it for you know the show. Well, mm-hmm. the first trailer uh, primarily focused on just uh, when he gets tasked his mission. And then just the different like action shots throughout. The second trailer, which is the most common one, is the one where it's that poem that's read and then shit's happening in the background. Uh, I prefer the first trailer. I feel like that didn't give away much. But after reading the film synopsis, I decided to wait until the movie came out to do the research on it to have that element of surprise still. Because I, I didn't know who Chairman Fred Hampton was at all. And I didn't know who William O'Neill was at all, so I wasn't going to take the time to research it until after the movie. That way, things could, you know, things could come to me naturally by watching it and observing it. I think that's what made, like, certain scenes more impactful when you, like, read about it and see how truths, how some of them were true. My only issue is that when I give it an 8, because originally I wanted to give it a 9. I wanted to, but then I had to really think about it. And there were some things that I didn't really like because I felt like they took artistic liberties. And yeah, every Hollywood movie does that, but I feel like some of them were just a little bit, eh, not too much to my liking, but but it was a solid movie and I really did like the acting. But uh, certain things, there's one element that I pointed out on Twitter that I'll get into when we get into the spoilers section. But yeah, solid film. 8 out of 10. The bar has been set, and I'm just waiting for Kong versus Godzilla, and that may be the closest movie coming out to this, because that Mortal Kombat trailer dropped, and that shit, ooh, that don't look pretty to me. But we'll talk about that <laughs> afterwards. But yeah, right. so 8 out of 10. What about you? 8 out of 10. All right, y'all. Let's get to this favorite part of these well, videos. All right, so before we, we, we really talk about the movie, um, apparently, like, this movie had been, like, pitched in, like, uh, 2014. It was supposed to originally be, like, a, a, a television show. Um, and then um, that went, and they wrote the screenplay and shit for it. Um... And it was posted, and then it turned into a film. And apparently, the two people that were being eyed to play um, Hampton were um, Ice Cube's son and Jaden Smith. 
I can't even watch the Pursuit of Happiness anymore. <laughs> With, uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't take that movie seriously. Knowing what that son's going to grow up to be, I'm like, no, turn it off now. <laughs> um, so, well, when it comes to appearance wise, I would say Ice Cube's son actually looks more like the real life Red Hampton than the actor that they got to play him. And that's something that I wanted to get into come spoiler territory, so I'll say that in regards to spoilers. But did you watch the additional like interviews and shit that they had at with the this end. movie? Yeah, yeah, well, no, not at the end of the movie, but they had like uh, separate videos, each thirty-minute like videos that you could watch where they talk um, about the making. Nah, okay, I well, I watched. No, I watched all of them. Uh, but yeah, um, so yeah, this movie was pitched around. Nobody at the time was making it. What was funny is this was written by like, this was co-written by the Lucas brothers who are more comedy oriented. And granted, I was surprised that they made such a good drama. I wish they would stick to dramas because I'm not really a fan of their comedy that much. <laughs> so it's just like, oh, wow, y'all did this? I was like, yes, well, stick to this. <laughs> you hit it out the park here, guys. Because I got a comedy show on Hulu, and it's just like, eh. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing here. Yeah. Um... Hey, I mean, people surprise you. Yeah, people surprise uh, me. They stick to more dramas. You know, they say they're going to try to think about it because the way how this came about was they had just learned about Fred Ham- uh, Chairman Fred Hampton and they were just figured that, like, a historical figure of this magnitude has been treated as obsolete due to history. And so they wanted to tell that story and good for them because I didn't know about this goddamn story. And me neither. I, yeah, and this wasn't like talked about at school at all. Like, so, that's the thing. Like, a lot of the black, you don't. I mean, hey, you can talk about this. I'm, I'm, I'm mixed with black, right? So, like, growing yeah. up, like, like when you don't know your history as a black person, like, you kind of get shitted on because people are, oh, you don't know your history. Like, I mean, you gotta understand, like, a lot of shit for black history is not taught in school. You know. Um, they teach you the bare minimum, and they only teach it during the month of February. And they're just like, "Okay, hope you're happy. You learned something about your history." And I feel yeah, like unless, you're taught the same thing every single fucking year. Yeah, unless you're not white, you really don't get to learn about like your history. Like the cool thing for me though is having like a Mexican mother, you know, from Guadalajara, Mexico, and then like having an American dad going to American schools. I got to see, like, both aspects because, you know, I live, you know, we live in Texas, right? So a Mexican's perspective on how the end of the war between Texas and Mexico ended is perceived as different from the way how Texas perceives it. In Mexico, Texas is perceived as cowardly because, you know, the Battle of San Jacinto, we just came because we were outnumbered by the Mexican troops. So we snuck in at night and just stabbed the fuck out of them while they were asleep. (laughs) <laughs> and then we just cornered, <laughs> and then bam, Texas is a new state, goddamn. But yeah, you know, so having like that back and forth with my mom and learning about Mexican history from my mom was was really nice. But that's why, like, and then they got like Hispanic Heritage Month. But I don't like assigning things to a specific month, you know. 
and I think people you, take, you learn about white people history like all year round. All year round, yeah. And I was like, and I feel like what I hate is you. You know, you bring up. I know you bring up you hate this radio host, which is true when it comes to certain like you say you hate Charlemagne the God, where Charlemagne <laughs> is like extremely judgmental on people who get upset at who like don't like the concept of black history month. The concept in itself to me seems flawed because it's just like how many times am I gonna learn about the exact same like five people? It's like if I made a joke, it's like I told a friend, it's like learning about black histories is like if they made basic fucking playing cards and if you bought like a basic deck of history cards and the basic cards that you're going to get are Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Rosa Parks, uh, Emmett Till, you know, just like those basic like five starter packs. And Emmett Till, I think, I I think, uh, at least for me, again, um, I didn't learn about Emmett Till until I was like in high school. Hey, I um, that shit was scared the fuck out of me. Yeah, and uh, I can't remember what year it was, but like I said, they teach you what they feel like they need to teach you. Like, I think black history should be a part, like learning about, oh, yay, we became free in this year. Like, I don't give a fuck about that shit no more. <laughs> that shit was taught, <laughs> like, when you first go into social studies. That's like one of the first fucking things you learn, and it's like it's repeated every year, every scene. And it's like, bro, teach me something, you know, that's more important. Like, I don't give a fuck when this country became free, because when you think about it, like, look how look at all the stupid shit we. Anyways, anyways. <laughs> you was kings, DJ. You was kings. <laughs> oh, it's just I don't know. It's crazy because, and then the fucked up part is. The only reason you learn about, like, Mexican history or, like, New World history is just because it was part of a significant change in history when they discovered the New World. So that's the only reason you learn about, like, the Aztecs and the Mayans. And it's not because you learn about their culture. No, it's you learn about them because they got took the fuck over. And yeah. Then, <laughs> and then that's as far as you go into it. But you, you know what else? In May, because of Cinco de Mayo, it really pisses me off. When they try to teach you about some Hispanic shit in May, I'd be like, I'd be like, bro, why? What? Teach me this shit all year round. What are you doing? They, they should. It makes no sense. <laughs> as like Texas, Texas as a state focuses a little bit more on Hispanic history because it is a little bit more significant because you know the homeless and things of that nature. Yeah. But it's just like. You know, I'm not saying, man, fuck like history month. This is like, I hate, I, I hate seeing, because here's what happens. It's like Pride Month, where it's just like companies and everything of that nature. Like Cartoon Network, I appreciate Cartoon Network, but what's with like these cartoon animated shorts that they're just like, what? Why aren't these history books mentioning all these black people? It's like, uh, buddy, hold on there, chief. It's like, yeah, like differentiate it. You got to show all cultures because then that's where you get people who get caught up in the mix and aren't well educated on or well versed about it and so they get caught up with like that superiority complex when it's not the case at all and instead of working together you end up creating more of a unit separating factor and working together yeah it's like why do we need why do we need to put it into a month 
Why not just celebrate it all year round? Why does why does uh it's not a fucking college? It's all year round. It's only in a public school. Like it just only I mean a, why why isn't there a white history month? Why can't we just celebrate them one once a month? You know, or one time a year. Why? Like I mean seriously, like this should just make like people of color are just uh, it's just blended all in history. Just like that's why college College is the one that does it right, and that's what I think makes college so upsetting because it's not the fact that it's advanced education. No, it's just the way how education, in my mind, should work. You should yeah. learn about all these cultures at the time that they were relevant to the history because you'll learn about all of them. You'll learn about white cultures and how they started their civilizations. You'll learn about uh, the Asian civilizations as time progressed and as the world progressed. But the way how school systems do it is just like, oh, one month, learn about it. Or it's like, here's Hispanic History Month. We'll only discuss like two important figures, and then the rest of the people you should know will staple to the wall in the hallways. And you, you know what's even crazier? What's even crazier is, is like they teach you history as if like it's like okay, people came from from this side of the country over here and then took this land from the darker people, you know, the Indians and shit. And it's like, why are we celebrating that? That's the worst history. Huh? That was what I said. That was the worst history description ever. Well, you, you know, <laughs> like, why, why are we celebrating? Why are we celebrating killing? Like, why do we celebrate Thanksgiving? The killings of, of all these people? Why, why do we celebrate stuff like that? You know, what's weird is, like, Thanksgiving was supposed to be, like, the holiday where it's just, like, the peaceful holiday. We made peace. We ate. We, we ate. Granted, over time, it took over. So it's just, like, the one time. It's like I joked with a friend. It was, like, the one time that Caucasians were nice in history, we turned it into a holiday. And even then, we turned it into Black Friday, which kills the whole point of being thankful for shit. Like, <laughs> it just... No, it was crazy. So one of my... One of my history teachers, you know, he wanted to teach history his way. And so he did. But he had to follow the school guidelines. But he was like, you guys all know how to pass every single history test that you will ever take in this country. Pick the answer that makes America look the best. And then it will, nine out of ten times, it's the right answer. That sounds fucking true as shit. <laughs> That's legit. He gave me that. He gave us all that knowledge. And we took it with us to every class. And then, man. Anyways, all right, let's 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 get back on topic because I go on since motherfuckers here. Um, by the way, I need my uh, my stimulus check, Mr. Biden. Um, hope you're listening. Stimulus checks, <laughs> good <laughs> All right. You're trying to get that PS5. I already paid rent on my own. Just give me that little extra boost. Hey, if you guys want to learn how to get a PS5 for free, DM me. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, you ain't gonna do it. Uh, no, all right. So, um, movie pretty much starts with uh, Bill or Bill William O'Neill, Bill O'Neill. Um, and this was some clever ass, but some very risky, scary ass type of shit to do. Uh, especially like. I guess scarier back in that day, and I'm trying to think of like how it would go like today, because you know, like 
Yeah, I don't know. I I wonder. Like, I want to compare it to how. So you know, he he goes into the 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 little bar or whatever, and he pretends to be an FBI agent. And um, what was the the not the, what was the the fucking group's name? Uh, the Black the Kings. Roy- is that what they were? Yeah, it was the Black Kings and the Black Panthers. But the Black mm-hmm. Kings is the one who he goes into first. I thought they were called the Royals or some shit. No, it was the Black Kings. Because remember, you had the Kings, and then you had the Panthers. They say when they're going through the FBI. Because remember, uh, fast forwarding a little bit, they make the pamphlets. It shows how the FBI made the pamphlets. They put the Kings. Yeah, they made the pamphlets to frame what you call it. Um, Before before we get into this, I want to talk about my first issue. And this is why the film's at an 8 and not the 10. I appreciate Lakeith Sanfield's performance, but I feel like, dude, you, you could have shaved for this movie. You could have shaved for this movie. And there's a reason I say that. Who are you talking about? Lakeith Stanfield, William O'Neill. Oh, uh, O'Neill. You know why? Because they portray the scene. He goes into the bar. He goes into the Kings. He pretends he's the FBI agent. And the reason they know he's not is because he drops his hat. and at first, I didn't get that, and then when I watched, looked up the real history and then watched it again, there's a line of dialogue where the bartender's like, oh, he looks too young. He looks too young. He's like, no, the fuck he doesn't, because it's Lakeith Stanfield with the fucking beard. The yeah, real he's supposed life, to be 17 years old. The real life, we only know 17 and didn't yeah. have a beard. So it would make a lot more sense if, oh, he drops the hat, clean-shaven Lakeith Stanfield then oh, okay I, yeah because i was kind of confused on that too on how they kind of figured out he wasn't yeah an fbi anybody, agent anybody else looking at 32 year old lakeith stanfield how the fuck are you gonna say he looks too young to be an agent when motherfucker has a whole ass beard that's like if we do a movie and we're supposed to play us in high school and you just look exactly like you now <laughs> like they don't even change anything like I don't shave at all. Man, I, got bro, this. I don't even look like a, I don't even look like a grown ass man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, so uh, that was just one of my only issues, and I pointed it out on Twitter too. It's like, man, I really wish they would have gotten actors who were more in the age range. Because granted, these actors put in good performance, but there's so many good. What the hell was that? That was a fan. Jesus. Damn, I'm acting behind you. <laughs> just playing. <laughs> that was not my cat this time. Uh, no, but there's so many actors who are in that young range, and I was really hoping, you know, that they could have gotten a more See, actors. See, this, sem- this is where Jaden Smith would have came in to play. Bro, no, stop it. You just, you just, just don't, sir. Don't you dare. Funny. Hey, he no. could have surprised a few people. I don't know, man. You know what? I would have loved to see what he would have done with it, just as long as he didn't do any of the rap songs on the album, because then he would have dropped some trash-ass verses. Right? <laughs> I feel... Actually, no, never mind. He lost all rights to be in this movie when he called himself Martin Luther King. You <laughs> lost all rights to be in this movie. Which, <laughs> by the way, guys, they reference Martin Luther King um, and Malcolm yeah. X a few and times. Uh, so... Uh, so oh. yeah, so he goes, he gets stabbed, you know, he gets stabbed because he's trying to take the dude's car, 
He runs into it, you know, he headbutts him, and that's when the hat comes off, and they're just like, oh, 32-year-old Lakeith Stanfield, you look too young to be an FBI agent, boy. Yeah, so the reason I said this part was, like, scary, like, so, like, when I watch movies, I try to put myself, like, within some of the character situations, so I kind of put myself in the situation where I was like, first, I, why would the fuck would you, I wouldn't go in there impersonating no goddamn FBI agent. Second, I ain't finna go into no gang's fucking territory just to steal a car. Because he steals the car, he runs out, he manages to get into the car. Uh, but of course, they chase him out and they hop on the fucking car and they fucking slice the roof open. I would have shit my fucking pants. For <laughs> that roof come slice down? Bro. <laughs> I would have fucking shit myself, especially because it comes up later on um, in the movie, uh, which we'll, we'll talk about. Um, but he gets stopped by. So it was weird because it was a police car, but it was really an FBI agent who, who pulled him over. Um, and he pretty much tells him, you know, like, hey, bro, you either going to jail for impersonating a cop. Uh, what else? And for was it? For for car theft too, it'd be car theft and then impersonation of a not just a cop, but impersonation of a federal officer. Yeah, federal officer. But this does get to a cool line of dialogue because I will appreciate subtle dialogue. The dialogue in this movie is good, you know, because that issue gets addressed. You know, Um, I forgot the guy's name. I will research it. But the FBI director, you know, he asked him, "Was like, oh, why why are you using a fake badge to rob?" And you're then, talking about the the guy that was talking to him, uh, yeah, Roy agent. Mitchell. Roy Mitchell, okay, yeah. Well, anyways, so Roy Mitchell asks uh, William O'Neill, he says, why do you do it like this? Like, why do you do it? And I respect the writing in William O'Neill's answer, where he's just like, people fear a badge more, more than, than they, they do fear. Yeah. Because a badge has a whole force behind them, yep. which is an amazing little, just a little, just a little crumb of social commentary. But, you know, it, it explains everything of why he would do it like that. Right. Now, what subtle hints, though, that they still treat him like shit that I noticed at the beginning is when he's sitting on the chair, he's not patched up or fixed up. He's still bleeding. While sitting in the interrogation room. From the head. So that's crazy. So when they do the headbutt scene, you don't see him cut open. At least I didn't. And I watched the fucking part like, oh, I was like, man. So when he's in the in the interrogation thing, I was like, my first thought was, damn, they beat this nigga up. Like the, the, the federal. Pl-. But then I remembered, I was like, oh, no, wait, he got fucking headbutted. But I had never saw no blood until now, so I don't no, know. He was bleeding from his midsection because when the dude stabs the top open, <laughs> he's pushing his knife down and Lakeith is pushing his arm up. But the dude still stabs him a little bit right in like the lower abdomen. So that's where the blood is coming from, where it's still dripping when he's at the police station. But it shows you that how shitty the cops are treating him, that they still just let him bleed instead of patching him up. Especially if they were going to use him as an informant. But anyways, then we get to uh, then we get to B-roll of Fred Hampton and some of the Chicago Black Panthers things. Well, after he uh, Roy Mitchell extends his hand, asking for a handshake, because he says you could do this, this, or you can go home. 
which yeah, and the everybody who has that option is gonna just go home. <laughs> Especially because this kid's only seventeen. That's why I wish they would have gotten a little bit younger actors or out of ran. Out of ran. Ask Lakeith to shave. If they could have at least gotten him to shave. I don't know if maybe Lakeith demanded that he didn't shave and they didn't change that, you know? Because when he's older, yeah, have him keep the goatee because that's how he looked in the interview. But don't have him keep it when he's uh, when he's doing that. Yeah, but anyways, you go, you go, B-roll. And I don't know if you get part of the interview first or if you get um, J. Edgar Hoover's presentation. Part of the O'Neill interview? Yeah, you get part of the O'Neill interview at the beginning, which... Um, shout out to those who played the game when I saw this movie and I saw what they were doing and the way they framed it I'm like yo I'm getting some Mafia 3 vibes from this movie because that's how the game is it works as a documentary you know so I was like okay cool they're going to like say stuff granted I wish they wouldn't have had those scenes until the end I really don't need to hear them but uh, but you know it keeps going. We get to the part where he goes and he's, uh, I think what's the first thing he does is when he's at the meetings, right? No, you get the Jay, you get Jay who yeah. he's showing everybody, including uh, Roy Mitchell, he's which was true. And what was crazy is while they were filming this, more documents came out that suggest that Jay and Hoover actually had more involvement in the case than they thought. Because in the movie, that was supposed to be fictional that J. Edgar Hoover personally spoke to Roy Mitchell and William O. Well, some documents came out during the filming of this, or after this was done being filmed, that stated that, oh no, Edgar had actually spoke to both Mitchell and uh, O'Neill, which I wish they would have done. Which, by the way, uh, I didn't know I, that that was Martin Sheen until I watched it the second time. I was just going to say that. I was just going to say that. I when I when I first seen it, I was like, why does he look like Coach Bombay's older brothers? <laughs> but no, it's his fucking dad. Bro, I said I saw two things. I was like, yo, a, what is the penguin doing in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> and b, why is Rudy Giuliani in this movie? Like he looked like the makeup made him look more like the penguin than anything. I'm like, bro. I, I put the wrong movie. <laughs> <laughs> all, he, all he needed was that monocle and that little short and long on a plastic stick. And there we go, boy. Martin Sheen is the penguin. Put that shit in the Snyder Cut. <laughs> 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 anyways, but yeah, we get to that. We get to the people. And then we get to the first meeting that they go to. All right. And now, this is where he kind of like flirts with the chick, right? So, this is where he flirts with the chick, and this is where, you know, it's like, what are the rules? Uh, no going after the women. Your discipline is 20 push-ups. Bro. Bro. Oh, you're talking about, what did he do? Uh... He was just flirting with the girl. He was yeah. just flirting with the girl. And so the other chick with the uh, fro, I forgot that character's name. The bad but she, huh? she on behalf of... Uh, Frank, uh, Chairman Frank's orders. So she has to, he has to do 20 push-ups, and that's when he goes back to talking to Roy. Bro, I'm sorry. As soon as I would have had to done 20, 20 push-ups, 
bro, here's the blueprint to this new script. <laughs> this dude said he would have snitched over 20 push-ups, bro. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they don't have me doing 20 push-ups out here just still trying to spit game. Fuck you. <laughs> That's when we put on the rainbow wig, bro. And then not to mention, as he's doing the push-ups, old girl tells him, uh, uh, you need some help, O'Neal? I got girls in here who could do who can uh put a shirt down on the floor for you or some shit like that. Yeah, that's like just, bro, I'm sorry, it's just snitching right there. Shoot this place so immediately. And he told FBI agent he was like, uh bro, they're me. They're not a terrorist organization, but they're working me. Yeah, he's like, Yeah, but they're terrorizing me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's just, then we yeah. Cut to, yeah, we cut to another scene and I had a perfect joke. This part of the movie made me wish that movie theaters were open because I would have loved to see how many niggas would have taken off their dashikis and their fucking medals when Frank Hampton's talking shit about them. <laughs> you you would have seen so many people in the theater take that shit Where he... Because he's like, why are you wearing what you think is a representation of your people when you don't even know. Yeah. Bro, I would have died. Because you because you brought it up in the last review where so many people were on Dashikis and shit to Black Panther, who's a fictional fucking movie. Yeah, bro. They were in full effect, bro. That was crazy. Bro, can you imagine if that audience went and saw that scene? Bro. That was crazy. Black <laughs> Panther, like, people... This was, like... They went crazy over a fictional movie, bro. Like, why not? I don't know. <laughs> this one too, and that's why I wish they would have just held off. You know, it would have been worth the wait to see how many people would have gone in that theater to full dashiki out with the fucking medals and shit, and then slowly take that shit off in the middle of the movie <laughs> <laughs> when Frank's talking shit about them. Uh, but, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> that um, how many people you would have thought left the movie in big movie because of that shit? Shit. Uh, Find the car, bro. <laughs> too many. So, but, oh, but I'm not sure it's... as to what the timeline is of this movie. Like, how fucking monster it's about, things. It's about, about two years. It's about, like, two years. About a two-year period? Yeah, about a two-year This nigga was working this motherfucker for two years. So... Yeah, because only for a little bit. They do the first meeting. He meets his his soon-to-be baby mama. Um, Now, the good thing about that scene is, yes, you have what would have been a funny moment in theaters where Frank is talking about taking up your dashikis and shit and things of that nature. (laughs) But on the other side of that scene, the actress, um, I forgot what the woman's current name is, which but one? The one who was uh, Frank Hampton's wife. Her name is Dominique Fishback, and the, the the character she played was Deborah Johnson. Well, yeah, but now Deborah Johnson goes by something else now. But anyways, but anyways, Deborah Johnson's character, who uh, you know, Deborah Johnson's character. No. Says, Deborah Johnson is the character. Yeah, Deborah Johnson. Okay. Well, the character of Deborah Johnson goes okay. to Frank Hampton 
And, you know, she talks to him and is like, hey, you know, it's cool that you're going, that you want to be like extremely pro-black and against these natures. However, you are isolating these people who are trying to join the cause. Yeah. And you might not want to do that. Because he talked to them kind of like they was kind of stupid. Because he did. That's why I would have laughed my ass off to see how many people would have took it off their fucking dashikis in the goddamn noodles in the theater. Because he just goes off. Yeah. He's like, you're dressing up like how y'all think it's supposed to be, but you don't know nothing. Like, damn. That's a little hardcore there, buddy. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, you know, you got to keep it real. I, get, I don't know. I wouldn't have fucking joined if I was talking like, talking like that. <laughs> I'm telling you, exactly. See, see, me would have been the 20 push-ups. You would have been the, the dash. Uh, I know we're, we're going to get to this part, but I kind of, I made a joke with my uncle, my black uncle, guys. Don't, you know, I want you to think I'm making jokes with my Hispanic family about black movies, because I'm not. I'm making jokes with my black uncle, okay? Um, so after they burn the, the, the Black Panther building down, right, and you got people going over there to, like, help rebuild and shit. And you see, like, some kids. I was like, man, imagine if, if if I was born back then. My black mom would have been like, uh, DJ, you get your ass down there and go help rebuild that Black Panther building. I would have been like, uh, mama, no. D- they just got shot at. What you mean go help rebuild? <laughs> I'd be like, nigga, y'all be fucked up. I ain't trying to be affiliated with them motherfuckers. No way. <laughs> Hell no, bro. I saw that she shot at. Like, no, thank you. All right. I'll take my <laughs> breakfast and that's all. <laughs> right? I would be like, hell no. But. No, but anyways, <laughs> so she goes, talks to them about the inclusion. Once we get to the inclusion, we go back to more seats. Then we go into one of the first, uh, what I like to call, connection scenes where Fra- uh, Frank wants to go, Chairman Frank, he wants to go talk to a certain group, make peace with them. And then work with him. So the first one he goes to the black. Bro, Keys. I was like, why do you keep saying Frank, bro? His name is Fred. <laughs> uh, Chairman Fred. Uh, I keep on getting confused. <laughs> Chairman Fred Hampton, played by Daniel Kluge. Confused with who? <laughs> My bad. Anyways, <laughs> Chairman Fred. It's a long day, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Chairman Fred. Anyways, Chairman Fred. First thing he wants to do: go to the Black Kings and get their association. Yeah, form a pack of truce with him. So he goes there, and then he goes there. No, they bro, know. see, I was right. They are called the Crowns. Oh, the Crowns? Yeah. Oh, okay. They call them the Kings um, when the FBI addressed them, so I don't know why they put Okay, so the Crowns. Anyway, so the Crowns, they go to the Crowns hideout, which is where uh, O'Neill was previously. However, somehow they don't notice him there. They notice him on the second one. But anyways, so O'Neill is looking at the full table, notices they're about to attack Chairman Fred. He notices they're about to hit him with that Steven Seagal full sticks in the cloth technique. All right. And then that's when our boy went from being soft-spoken to all of a sudden fucking Donatello with the fucking pool stick. <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle head-ass boy. And he just swings that shit like this, something like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> he becomes fucking Star was, Wars. <laughs> so this is what I meant about his his uh, his car theft catching up to him. So we're watching this, and uh, 
they pull up, like you said, to the Crown's um, territory and shit. And like Viri was looking at it, and I and she was like, oh, um, she go, oh, cause he was like acting like, uh, you know, scary when he went, like he didn't want to go inside, or when he went inside, he had like his head down and shit, trying to like not be seen. So Viri was like, oh, what's going on? And I was like, oh shit, this is the same fucking bar that he fucking pretended to be uh, the FBI. FBI agent at. Somehow um, didn't notice. Yeah, nobody fucking noticed. Uh, even when he came out swinging the fucking pool stick. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that's one point that happened, and then of course after this. So after this. Uh. So the whole point of this scene was him. Uh. Uh. Fred trying to set up the fucking uh, meeting with the crowns. Uh. Exactly. Which by the way. I, I love I love that scene that meeting, um, and I had to watch it twice because I didn't understand the whole fucking uh, flyers that were left on the crown's doorstep. I didn't understand it the first time because like I, like I said I was fucking high as shit right I was, <laughs> I was high as man bro i don't know i watched it so the first time i watched it i ain't gonna lie i was like oh this is a really good movie but then by by the next day by the end of it yeah i I saw the whole thing and then like by the next day i was like damn i forgot what happened so that's why that's i mean and then like i said barry fell asleep so she didn't watch it so we watched it again the the next day this time i watched it sober but uh they do a, a a scene in the fbi's uh office and where they're talking about how black people talk, they're like, oh, they say drive turkey here, and they say this, and they say that. And I think they were trying to say, uh, they say dig instead of you dig, they said you're digging, but it's like, dig, no, they dig up or you dig, yeah, some shit like that. Yeah, digging. You and I didn't, I didn't realize, I didn't realize what they were doing was they were creating the fucking flyers that got yeah. left. On the crown's territory, I, I didn't fucking realize that. Because a stack of them got left. Because yeah. they even like, okay, before you jump the gun, the reason of that scene with the bartender didn't go on that is because they go back into one of the cars uh, that Chairman Fred's like friends are borrowing, and then that's when they dub him Wild Bill for trying to fight off knives and guns with fucking pool stick, and then that's why. So he gains a little bit of their trust there, you know, trust gain, some Telltale Games type shit. Fred will remember that. But anyways, so it cuts that FBI scene. And in that FBI scene, Roy Mitchell is just like, we have O'Neill. Shouldn't we just ask him? Shouldn't we just ask him? And then that's when the other FBI agent's like, nah, I'm confident. They say you're digging instead of you dig, which is you dig. What the fuck? (laughs) Anyways, so then that's when they commence to the meeting. This that was a that was a very white scene, right? Like yeah. white people trying to fucking make fun of the way black people talk. So I saw that scene memed on Twitter where somebody's like, "Yo, these kids say swagging, right?" <laughs> that was like the most white scene in that entire movie. Because it leads to showing you later what But before that, um, Roy Mitchell asked O'Neill's like, what do you need to get closer to Fred Hampton that Uncle Sam can provide? And he says, I need a car, which at first Roy Mitchell thinks he's fucking around because he tries to call, but he's like, no, 
Um, Fred thinks that the cops keep on pulling him over. Well, he accidentally calls the cops pigs in front of Roy Mitchell. And then he like says, apologize for it. But then Roy Mitchell says, no, stick to that. That means you're going off script. That's good. That's good. And then he comes out with a beautiful Buick. Oh, so beautiful. And now, fun parts. Um, I like when movies bust out classic songs that have been sampled by rap songs so they can have a little double entendre. So when he's driving the Buick, I forgot the name of the original song, but that's the song that's sampled in Cypress Hills, When the Shit Goes Down, You Better Get Ready. And I think that's perfect because what it's about to lead to, which is them going into that meeting. So I think, you know, I appreciate it. You don't want to put the modern rap in, you know, in the thing that's supposed to take the 60s. But what you could do is you could take the part of the song that was sampled for the beat and then put it there. And I think that's like, it's a little double entendre thing that I really like when some movies do it. Other movies have done it before. I really like it, you know. But anyways, so they now picking up him. We found out that Fred eats pork, which I don't know why we need to know that. <laughs> and, uh, I guess I guess to just let us know he's not Muslim or some shit but anyways, he picks him up at an eating spot and then they go to the crowns and the crowns that's where um, minor technique because this is this guy's like first film directing and this is like Lucas Brothers first movie he's writing I don't need a film to show me a flashback of a scene that was early. I'm smart enough to put two and two together. Oh, you're talking about where he saw... someone's looking at William O'Neill suspicious, I don't need to re-see the scene where the dude stabbed him that was just like 20 minutes ago. Like, no, I'm paying attention to the movie. Yeah, they were... And I can tell by... uh, In the meeting... Uh, and this is why I love this part so fucking much. They're in the meeting. Uh, they didn't take any guns inside with them. Uh, the guy notices William O'Neill, right? He's yeah. trying to basically tell them, like, hey, that's a dude who, uh, you know, stole the car or whatever. But he also throws out the fact that O'Neill had the badge, uh, which catches the yeah, eye or which catches the attention of the of the chick whose fucking name I can't fucking remember. I think her name is Judy. If I'm not mistaken. Um, But so that happens. And he says, hey, Dick Tracy, you changed. uh, You traded your badge for. I forgot if he says a gun or to become a panther or something of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. And so he gets bitch slapped, too. They're like, hey, nigga, don't be don't be don't be cutting up. You know, speaking out of turn. So now we know Lewis would have played. (laughs) (laughs) So. Uh, it's crazy. So the Crown's leader, you know, is like, man, I got these uh, flyers on on my doorstep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's basically the FBI's the FBI is trying to frame uh, Fred for talking down on the Crown's. And like, Fred is such a smooth talker. It's so fucking crazy. He just turned that shit around. He was like. He was like, well, you know, brother, if 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 I did say that, like, I came to your 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 compound, you know, unarmed and this and that, and mm-hmm. like, 
You know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, I was like, damn, this nigga ain't finna talk himself out of this one. And it old dude handed him a gun. <laughs> yeah, no, he talks to Smooth because he brings it down and he says, like, oh, the pigs will do, will do that. You know, yeah. he's talking about the pigs will do that. And because what gains the other guy's trust is when you see, like, how dedicated to the cause that Fred Hampton is because then he says, like, why would they do that same thing to kill us the way how they did uh, Brother King and Brother Malcolm? Yeah. We should be so lucky as to die the same. So that's, you know, how he gets to him, and that's how he earns his trust. That, and I'm pretty sure, like, come on, the crowd, I'm pretty sure the crowd's trying to be smart to know that that was obviously written by a white person because it's just it's the worst, like, the is that one scene in Airplane where that old woman is trying to speak jive? <laughs> it's just so poorly written. But you can yeah. tell it was so, you know, um, they put a picture of his face on it. So, yeah, he talked out of the smooth. But when um, when that happens, they go to his Buick. And then Sim and Fro Girl, I'll, I'll just nickname her Fro Girl for the purposes of not knowing the character name. So he goes to Fro Girl. And then the other, which the other dude came out of fucking nowhere, because you see Fro Girl in the first scene in the passenger seat, where she's like, hey, Brother O'Neill, can I see your gun? Which, um, not using your brain 101, why would you, if, if you knew that somebody recognized you, why would you give anybody your gun? <laughs> like, bro, no. Yeah, her name is Judy. Yeah, okay, so Judy pulls up, she's like, Brother O'Neill, may I see your gun? <laughs> yeah, like, hey, man, where you good? And he's like, oh, it's in the glove department. I mean, yeah, in the glove department. And, and she, pulls and she fucking him. pulls it out on him. And, like, I kind of figured, because of the way she had she had been looking at him after, you know, they said the bash thing. And then they make this nigga uh, fucking hot, hot bro. He got, that had to be, like, the most luckiest shit in the world. <laughs> that was the most tense scene that I've ever seen. He, dude was like, nah, I got my tools. <laughs> but they played the they played it very well. They played that scene very very well. That was the most suspenseful scene. And again, that's why I didn't look up the history and I was like, I'll wait till after, and then I'll watch the history. That's why I was excited to learn about this movie. But yeah, so he knew. And then they asked him, Oh, well, how do you have the key then? He's like, Oh, I had somebody change the lockbox. It was like, Nigga, I wouldn't have even thought. I would have been like, Oh shit, these niggas asking too many questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have been like, uh, oh shit, FBI, and I took off. See, well, you already surpassed me because I would have already tapped out on twenty push-ups, bro. <laughs> they would have already been dead, bro. <laughs> I would have given them the Kool-Aid, my goddamn self. <laughs> you stupid. Do twenty push-ups, fuck you, bro. <laughs> Do twenty so, jumping. <laughs> so Fred, Fred eventually like recruits some white people and the Puerto Ricans and stuff like that. Like the way how he does, he does he plays it smooth. He goes in, which I think is what's strong about his character is because they're showing unification. He goes primarily first, so he goes like to a legitimate clan rally with his group, and I was just like, why, why would you go here? This is like the last place. <laughs> Oh, yeah, 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 that rundown. But, again, he's such a fucking smooth talker. Like he's he, a smooth talker. He brings a legitimate point because, like, yeah. one of the guys does say, he's just like, oh, well, slaves are actually expensive for poor people. And he's like, okay, well, then you were the overseer. 
And then the other guy's like, oh, well, you were the overseer. And then that's when Fred goes, well, why can't the overseer work with the slaves to take over the masters? And then that's how he gets the unification in between, like he legitimately got a clan unification to work with the Black Panthers, which is a very thing. Then they go to the Oricuas, which is the Puerto Ricans. And that's when, you know, they make peace with that. And then that's when they all come together to do a protest outside of the police station. Yeah. I wish I could talk like that. Uh, but yeah, so they form the Rainbow Coalition. Um, so that's just, you know, it's, it's now more than just, I mean, Black Panther Party is still like the forefront of everything. But his whole idea was he got to be smart about it and he knew he needed uh you know more i i, I don't want to say followers because i mean i guess it's kind of like a cult but uh, it wasn't a cult what it was was okay so the reason that ed jagger was more scared was for two things a because he was black but the main thing was which the movie really doesn't cover that much is he was actually communist uh fred hampton was actually communist and that's why he's like trying to you know, his other group members, his comrades and things of that nature. He was like strongly communist. And that was like a big thing that like Jagger Hoover was like, no, now we're putting a stop to that. Da, 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 da. Now, in the middle of this, we see a little bit more glimpse of, uh, of and this is something that I, I liked because when you read the history of it, from what it seems, O'Neill and Mitchell had a very good like relationship. And then again, this is where either Lakeith needed to shave his fucking beard or they should have got a younger actor because that line makes no fucking sense when 32-year-old Lakeith Stanfield's just like, oh, I saw him as like, I saw him as like a mentor or a father figure, it's yeah. Father. And you go back and it's the same fucking looking dude. It's just he doesn't have a little fro. <laughs> I was like, Lakeith, you had to just fucking shave your face in this movie, bro. If this movie was really important, <laughs> As important to you as you said it was, you could have filmed those scenes without your little fucking goatee. You had it. Hey, man. You don't have facial hair, bro. You don't know how important it is to a person, okay? Bro, if you're portraying a fucking movie and you want to look more like the character, you're supposed to look within that age range, like the age range. You know what I mean? But anyways. Nah, man. Uh, this shit is important. Uh, but yeah, so they... Uh, now, I can't remember the order of events as how this played out. I can't remember if uh, George Sams showed up first or if Hampton got arrested first. Um, um, I, I don't know, but they both play a pivotal one, but we can talk about them. So, all right, well, let's do this. So Hampton goes to Fred goes to jail. Hampton gets picked up first off allegedly stealing ice cream. There you go. That's right. Like what was it? Like a hundred and something dollars worth of ice cream or some shit like that. Ice cream. Yeah, seventy-three dollars. Fucking ridiculous. Allegedly. So that's what they put him when they arrest him at a breakfast meeting. While that goes on, uh, the first the first part happens because the first part is when they just meet the guy. So, you know, the Keith is just like, oh, yeah, yeah, what'd y'all do to that other punk who y'all thought? And they talked about, oh, well, we disciplined him with boiling water. Oh, okay, hold on, before you do that. So, 
because there's a lot there's a lot of just in between stuff. So he gets arrested. Uh, you see how O'Neill is getting paid by Mitchell. He's been to Mitchell's house. Um, they want him. They want more info on the actual Black Panthers. Um, their base. Yeah, their base. Um, so like just all kinds of shits going on. Now here's the thing. I like. It seemed this movie. I, and you know, I wish I wish they would have focused it more a little bit better on the representation of O'Neill and Mitchell. Because you have those scenes where, you know, they're eating steak together and they're like drinking together. And yes, as it progressed, you know, they had to get through that serious shit, but Mitchell didn't leave, you know, the Panthers after after what happens. He stays, as they say in the epilogue. Uh but um it was like scenes like that. I feel like they tried. It was like they wanted to make Roy Mitchell a sympathetic character as well, and then it looked like either Spike Lee just walked in that bitch and was like, "No, fuck it, he's evil now." <laughs> and it's like, well, Roy Mitchell, because Roy Mitchell, when I did research on him, he had actually worked for previous uh, civil rights cases, so he had worked to find out, and he mentions it even in the movie. So it's just like, why are you making Roy Mitchell all of a sudden more evil, you know, especially when he's going to Hoover, which the first time I didn't like understand the significance of that scene. But the second time, you know, going a little bit further, the second time there is more of a significance to the scene where he asks, oh, what would you do if you're not if your daughter brought a Negro to the house? Da, da, da. He says that. However, what I for what I like, what clicked in my head the second time was. Oh, he already did. He brought O'Neill to his house and he showed O'Neill his daughter. Yeah. And you know, he would eat meals over there with O'Neill and things of that nature. So it was like, oh, so he's already friendly. So why towards the end do they push this O'Neill as all of a sudden evil or not O'Neill, uh Mitchell. this Mitchell is evil narrative is like this seems out of place. And I think that's what like kind of made it feel the most wonky to me. It's like why? Because it made him sense to make him like a sympathetic character, you know, because he obviously had this friendly relationship with this black person. And, yeah, one person could be. I feel like the people who made it, obviously, they talked to Chairman Fritz, you know, family and things of that nature and remaining descendants. And I feel like within that, I feel like the more they hung out with them, the more they catered the movie towards them. And I think that takes away from the elements of the movie which I felt made it like more human because it's so yeah. it's human break it down because you really see in that one scene, the pain in Mitchell's face when Hoover's like t- telling him this shit, especially, and you feel uncomfortable. Like I felt for Mitchell in that scene, you're just sitting in your job and your boss is asking sitting about there and your boss is fucking berating you because you, you, you're not racist like him. You know? Yeah. It's just like, a, it's an uncomfortable scene. And then that's like, that's what made me more upset. And I was like, well, why in this ending scene is Mitchell was like, you know? And he's like, oh, it's five years for the badge. Yeah. <laughs> like, this doesn't seem like in character with what you showed us. No, but anyways, one person gets abducted by water. And then, which again, makes Mitchell's character more sympathetic because Mitchell asks. You, you said somebody got abducted and what? 
somebody, you know, they abducted that one member who they suspected was an informant. Oh, okay, hold on. So let's back up. Let's back up. Let's back up. Um, so uh, uh, O'Neill is pretty much like rising up uh, through the ranks and shit, gaining everybody's trust. You know, Wild Bill and uh, I love this part. So first of all, the, the dude looked like Chris Brown to me, like like just a cheap version of Chris Brown. <laughs> the dude who was playing uh, George Sam's. Uh, so he is uh, sitting there or whatever on the steps or talking, and they basically tell him like, "Oh yeah, you know." Um, he killed an, an an informant. I think they they said they threw uh, acid on him or some shit. No, they throw boiling water and cigarette there brush. You go. They, when they say it, they're saying, "Oh, we disciplined him with a yeah. little bit of water. We disciplined yeah. him a little bit more." Yeah. And the and reason it, I I love that scene was because Bill was like, "Man, I'd have killed that nigga too." Shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And the first thing he does is drive straight to Mitchell. He drives straight to Mitchell and is like, man, who knows I'm an informant? <laughs> Fuck out of here. It was crazy, though. And this is, again, why I gave the movie an 8 instead of a 10, because they fucking, for some reason, decided to villainize Mitchell towards the end when Mitchell kind of felt that some shit was going wrong. Because in the other three scenes, he's playing it as if something's clearly wrong. Because, yes, Sam's killed that person, even though Sam's was the informant. But the FBI said, oh, we're going to screw over Sam's and we're going to arrest Sam's, too, even though he was an informant. We're going to arrest him, too. But in doing that, we're not going to arrest him yet because every building that he goes to could be charged with uh, hiding a felon or hiding a felon. So that's that's where they get the raid. And and that's where... where and they know they know a murder's been done, and they didn't do anything about it. Yeah, and that's where you like you zoom in on Mitchell's face because Mitchell doesn't. He doesn't Mitchell agree with it. Feel like that. He doesn't want to do William O'Neill like that. Whereas the other people were like quick to throw Sims under the bus and be like, "Yeah, we can just have him get arrested for murder and uh, harboring a fugitive. Any other building that he goes to, we could charge him with harboring a fugitive." And that's eventually what they use. For what leads to like the big scene, which is the raid. Yeah. In the meantime, there was like the romantic subplot, but I really didn't care for the romance in this movie, not at all. Yeah, me neither. It it did nothing for me. Uh, so they raid the building. Uh, O'Neill O'Neill puts on like the performance of a lifetime, where he's like, "Man, we got a we got a snitch," and everybody's like, "Nah, man, you need to calm down, blah blah." blah. And he's like, nah, this is fucked up. This is fucked up. And he gets in his car and he starts laughing. I was like, hell yeah. I couldn't have done it, but hell yeah. <laughs> I could have, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm accusing everybody. <laughs> hell no, not me, bro. I, I'd have been left. I would have been left. Everyone's a um so uh a few scenes later uh this is the police huh let me me just say my inner scott steiner wouldn't let me enjoy the romantic scenes and that's all i'm gonna say draw from that what you will (laughs) draw from that what you will 
Um, so there's uh, two members. Um, Jimmy Palmer, he he gets he goes into a I think it was like a, a convenience store, it was a little small corner so store. And, and uh, yeah, the cops are in there, I guess, harassing the black people. Jimmy gets mad, pulls out his fucking gun on the cops. They shoot him. It um, shoots horribly, bro. His aim yeah. was trash. Yeah, it was it was it was terrible. So he he's in the hospital, uh, and apparently, um, well, let's I don't want to get to that yet. So they shoot him. He's in the hospital. Uh, the cops show up at the at the Panther headquarters and they're like, oh, you know, uh, we're gonna sit out here because they shot at a at a police officer or whatever, yada yada. And they're getting ready for like this big ass shootout, right? And yeah. fucking uh, Judy decides I'm gonna point a fucking gun at the at the fucking cops, right? Yeah, which she prompts, talks. which prompts the cops to fucking point all their guns back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she tells O'Neal, like, hey, you take, you get, you know, get that other window. I'm going to get this window. And he's like, nah, I think I should, uh, I should get the roof. And she's, the first thing Judy does, well, no, the first thing Judy does is she gets, uh, Chairman Hampton's uh, wife out of there. She yeah. gets her out of there. Because then she's like, does Hampton know? Which, oh, another important scene that I think is very important. You see this, like, sad scene, which is played out, I think. It was like darkly comedic to me where, you know, you get that scene that's always in every movie where the guy's in prison and he's writing like a note and da, 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 da. And you get that same scene and it's played out like if she read the note, but when she opens the envelope, there's not shit in there. Yeah, there's nothing in there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That made me laugh. <laughs> This is so cliche and just fucking like, FBI stole the fucking letter and shit, asshole. Yeah, they took the letter. So she just, <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, so back to the shootout. So they 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 uh <laughs> they uh O'Neill's like, no, nah, I'm gonna cover you from the roof, uh, you know, because they gonna call for backup and they will call for backup. You know, he's like, it's better for somebody to be on the roof. So he walks out, tries to walk out of the building. Someone else is down there. The so so he's like, fuck. So he has to go up to the roof, and they think he's a sniper. So the police start shooting first. His gun uh, barely sticks out from there. Yeah, his gun the barely sticking out. They're like, sniper, sniper. They start shooting at him. Uh, and from there, the other dude who was previously downstairs comes upstairs to help Judy out, which allows O'Neill to fucking leave like a fucking asshole. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> he fucking leaves. Uh, uh, the uh, the dude gets shot. Judy and them surrender. They they fucking arrest him and shit. Beat the shit out of him first. Yeah, they beat the shit out of him and then they arrest him and then they fucking light the damn uh, headquarter on fire. So it's burned yeah. down. Um, everybody helps rebuild it. The crowns help. Uh, people from around, I guess the the neighborhood and shit. They, you know, they go ahead and 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 get everything uh, done. Uh, and then at this time, of course, uh, Hampton gets uh, released from prison because he's trying to appeal all his fucking charges or whatnot. Yeah, it's gonna uh, they're gonna determine whether if he stayed long enough or if he's gonna go back to jail. Yeah, which is what happens later on in the movie. And when and when he gets out, you find out that uh, fucking Jimmy fucking dies. Yeah, Jimmy um, dies. Which, Jimmy's a fictional character, but 
the way how he dies is based on how somebody else allegedly had died. Yeah, I, apparently they think uh, during his uh, during somebody else's like ordeal. Yeah, during his transfer to another hospital. He was talking shit to the police officers, and police officers allegedly shot him in the yeah. body. And then, of course, he dies, which enrages, like, one of his friends who yeah. fucking shows up with the fucking gun at the hospital worker's place. And the hospital worker calls the cops. And the hospital worker calls the fucking cops Uncle Tom ass, nigga. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking calls the cops. Fucking Uncle Ruckus. Fucking Uncle Ruckus ass nigga. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me know what you know about this person. <laughs> I tell that nigga like, hey bro, this is what happened. <laughs> then I filled your friend with more lead than a pencil, my buddy. All right. Um, he gets into a shootout with the cops, right? He kills a few, kills his one. One of the cops is, like, begging for his fucking life. I was, and when now, I was watching, I was like, I was like, hell no, kill this nigga. Kill this nigga. Now, now, at around the same point, we get back to the uh, romantic love interest, to which, again, Scott Steiner, talking about Samoa Joe clip, insert here. But, <laughs> especially when I saw, like, the real-life version, I'm like, why y'all do her like that? <laughs> why y'all do her like that? Like, she's alive. She gets to see this portrayal. And this is what y'all do to her. Y'all done added, like, 40 pounds to this woman. But anyways, so they go, they, you know, she he sees that poem. is like, am I a bad mother or am I a bad mother? And then she, now, apparently, the story behind this poem was that poem was not in the movie. was not written in the script at all. The actress playing the character wrote that poem as the character. And showed it to the director, and the director liked it so much that they just ran with it. So that was that's pretty cool. Which poem? The main one that she reads. The only one that she reads. Because yeah, the other I time, the other time she's just quoting Malcolm X. Well, in this poem, she's talking about like the things, uh, which is true. You know, it leads. Oh, because before this happens, you have. Uh, Chairman Fred's celebration before this guy goes off to like shoot get into the shootout with the cops and find out you have Chairman Hampton's return home celebration. Within this celebration, you see O'Neill, see Mitchell, you see Mitchell, see O'Neill. That's right. He's sitting in the crowd. Yeah, and then but at the same time you also see uh you know Fred Hampton's wife, you know, he's he's talking about dying, things of that nature, and you see her get like more and more sadder. And then that's when she reads this poem and talks about, like, yeah, for somebody who wants to, like, die for a message, you'll die for a message, but you'll end up leaving your family behind. And, but is that really good? What does that leave for your child? Oh, this is where they're getting ready for bed, right? Yeah. And while she's reading this poem, simultaneously you see, you know, the shootout happen with the guy and the cops. And after this is when you get to, like, uh, you know, them going to that dude's family. And then that's when, at that point. At this point, everything's ramping up. Yeah, everything's ramping up. Everything's speeding up. Um, you get one more scene with uh, with uh, Martin Sheen as Edgar Hoover, where they're just like, oh, um, they're, they're oh, not going to. His, they're his not appeal gonna, was denied. 
because Bill's not, he's going to go back to prison for three to five years. And, and Mitchell, nothing. being the good guy that he is, was like, well, this is what we wanted. You know, this was a win. Um, and then that's when Martin Sheen's was like, prison made Huey uh, Newton the celebrity, and it made blah, 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 best-selling author. Yeah. And that he didn't want... He didn't want Fred Hampton to be memorialized and made into a much bigger figure. Uh, you gotta go. This dude was only 21 years old, so like, had he gone to prison, like he would have been out, and you know, it's. I mean, I don't know how long you get for fucking stealing ice cream, but you know, he, he would have like five more. He would have been used for those five more years. They say five more years for stealing some ice cream, nigga. Yeah, I'm never stealing ice cream in my life. This is uh, this is racist times. <laughs> This is racist. Uh, Jay Edgar Hoover trying to fuck you over. Yeah, so dude was 21 years old. He would have been out by 26, you know what I'm saying? So he still could have done a lot more. And he probably still would have done a lot more from prison. Um, so Mitchell was like, you know, um, do we really, like, need to do this or whatever? And Hoover's like, you're damn right we do, boy. Yeah. <laughs> and so... Uh, That's why Mitch- it's just like, again... Sympathetic Mitchell, why do all of a sudden Mitchell turn on William towards that last one? It makes no sense. Especially because, like, the relationship is that they were both good with each other and that. You well, know, his job was on the line, I guess. Once we you get know? to the epilogue, I'll, I'll talk more about it. But anyways. So Mitchell tells O'Neill, like, hey, bro, like, I need um, a blueprint of, uh, 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 what the fuck? Of Hampton's <laughs> shit. Uh, and uh, O'Neill's like nah man like he's going back to prison like y'all won or whatever and that's where he's like man look I told you it was this much for this for personating an officer and doing this doing that he's like uh, you know write the blueprint up so um, O'Neill does the blueprint and what's and then and then the next scene really fucked me up so he's at a bar and there's a lady and another dude there. And the dude's hitting on the lady. And she gets up and she walks to O'Neill. And she's like hitting on him and shit. And asks him like, you know, what's he do? And he said, oh man, I'm a former FBI agent. Yeah. And she laughs and she goes, she's like, well, I'm going to go to the restroom. Buy me a drink or some shit. And the black dude was like, huh, a, a nigga in the FBI when they start doing that or some shit like that. And, uh, yeah, and then you find out he's a fucking undercover FBI agent. He fucking yeah. he fucking hands um O'Neill like what was it like powder or some shit? Arbitrates it's what it was, and that's what puts uh Hampton to sleep. Yeah, yeah, knocked him out for a long period of time, long enough to where. Because that's when he says, "Is like you don't want to make it painful for him, do you?" And yeah. that's when he's like, "I got this paper that I really would like the chairman to read." And then that's when you see that little vibe. And then he fucking you know, follows him outside of the bar, and he's he telling says, him like, "Hey man, who are you? Who are you?" And this and that. Oh Roy, do you know Roy? Where's your badge? And, and he like, gives Here. him the fake badge. He gives him the badge that he she's the fake badge he used. He gives him the fake badge that he used at the beginning of the movie to steal the car. So this is what I'm saying. That whole first scene like played out during the entire movie as far as like 
kind of touching back on it. Uh, but yeah, that scene kind of fucked me up because I was like, damn, this nigga's a black dude, you know, who, I, I, I mean, from what I'm reading here, it says he was an undercover FBI agent, so he had F, he had FBI agent type of power. So he's a black yeah. dude in power who turned to an Uncle Tom. Yeah, and so so at this point you see like O'Neill has a kind of love for the Black Panther Party. Um yeah. like he's he's been undercover for however long it's been at this point. <clears throat> and he has uh, some kind of love. I mean he's still snitching, you know, he's still being a little yeah, snitch bitch. But he, <laughs> But uh, he has some kind of love for them, um, and he doesn't want to do it. But nigga also don't want to go to jail. Uh, and he was, and they, and he was also threatened by Mitchell. This is this. I guess this is where you say it's kind of out of character for him. He threatens him, saying like, "Hey, you know, uh, remember what happened to the last informant or whatever? They poured shit on his pe- on his penis, and they killed him. Did this and that." So. That was like totally, but again, at this point, he's got kind of Hoover's being a fucking dick to Mitchell yeah, like Hoover's throughout the whole movie. Like, I think that's how they tried to portray it, but it was just like because that's what made me feel for O'Neill. Because at first, all it was was just to get information. That's how it was pitched to him. It was just get information so they could arrest him. That's yeah. what Mitchell wanted. That's what Mitchell and O'Neill agreed to do. So even though he was snitching, it wasn't as bad to him as it ended up becoming. Because then it escalated to, oh, we need you to terminate uh, uh We need you to terminate uh, Fred Hampton. Yeah. And it was just like, well, I'm not doing it. So then that's when they gave him the thing. So then, you know, he's got some respect for him. And I think the first time, I didn't, it wasn't as heartbreaking to me. I thought it was just funny. But then the second time when I really thought about that scene, I was like, man, this is really heartbreaking. When he comes back to them with the C4 and he is telling them, you know, let's do it. Let's go. You know, you say kill the pigs. Let's go do it now. He's like, no, I'm saying kill all the pigs and remove all the evil cops, but keep all the good ones. And then he's like, man, well, fuck this. I'm gone. I'm quitting. He drives off. And in that drive off, you see him with one hand pull out that wire. And then, like, you see Keith Stanfield, like, crying as he does it. And I think you see him crying because he was, that was his last hope to make sure that, uh, that Fred stayed alive. Yeah. Like, that was his last hope that Fred would stay alive. Because if Fred would have just said yes, and then they could have planned something, they could have arrested Fred, and bam. But Fred wasn't about that. So that's what makes um, O'Neill just a little bit more that. So yeah, I felt a lot for O'Neill in this movie. Because, again, he's only 17, and that's the only thing where I feel like had they made these actors more closer, like, because you have actors who are, like, extremely, you know, older than how they look, but look very young, like fucking Tom Holland, for example, you know? You know, like, if you would have gotten some actors who look more like that in the age range, because HBO has done that shit with, like, before and things of that nature, where you could get, like, these young adults who know how to act. And I think that's what would have made the movie more impactful, and that's what would have made me bump it up to a 10. But when you have 32-year-olds on, like, with Keith Stanford, full fucking beard and all, 
And then you have Daniel Kalua. And I was like, man, these don't look like the young people who, if the story really needed to be powerful, they needed to look younger. And I think in looking older, it's not as powerful. Yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah. No, but the, yeah, but then so at this point, all resorts have been tried. Oh, don't uh, the crown give uh, Hampton money, right? This is what we're leading to. We're leading to the final meeting. You know, the last day of Hampton being alive, and they give him money, and they're just like, take this money and go to uh, where's it again? They tell him to just fly out of the country. I think they tell him to go to, like, London or France or some shit. And and he's pretty much saying, like, nah, I want to use it to... Build the healthcare center. Yeah, build the healthcare center. Because he has to be with the mother of the person who, like, shot the cops. Yeah. Just, like, give him a good name or tell people his story. Yeah. So that's going on, and uh, so everybody's leaving or whatever, or some people leave. Uh, apparently, a lot of people stay there for the night. O'Neal pretty much walks up to Hampton crying and pr- asks him, like, oh, you know, do you, you, you want? Another, I'm going to get another drink. Do you want one? And, you know, uh, the next scene, it cuts to O'Neal pretty much leaving uh, the, the headquarters. And then shit gets fucked up. Oh my god, this scene was like this was a fucking fucking murder. You yeah, have, it, was the, it was the end of Scarface, but without it being like as Scarface was, where he at least got some shots back and had like his big say hello to my little friend moment. No, this was just a straight massacre. There's yeah. like four Italian cops and then they just the you first get, guy you get FBI agents, you get police officers. Yeah, it was uh, and, then they just and, and the the way the scene was done was like, I was like, damn, these niggas really finna get fucked up. So, uh, you see some of the the, the Black Panther Party members like, uh, one's guarding the door, and you see the hallway light turn off, and that like clues him off like, oh shit, you know something's going down. He starts to wake everybody up, and you hear you hear a knock at the door, and he says. Uh, I think he says, I'm coming. And they just fucking shoot through the door and they just start shooting. This was totally unfucking provoked. Yeah, no, this isn't provoked. This was a fucking, this is a killing. This was a fucking huge massacre. Um, so they start shooting and shooting everybody and shit like that. And then they get to the point where they stop shooting and they say, turn on the lights. And you, all you hear is, we can't because y'all shot us. And then yeah, they suits more if you don't turn them on. And yeah, and then they proceed to say, well, there's gonna be more shooting if you don't turn on the fucking lights. Like, I was like, in my mind, I'm like, bro, you done shot these niggas. What you mean? So they start getting up with gunshot wounds in their fucking ass and their legs and, and shit. It was terrible. Yeah, turn on the lights. Huh? Then they round them all up in the kitchen. Yeah, they round everybody, and then so the lights are on, and they round them all up. And Deborah, uh, Fred, and one other person are all in Fred's bedroom. She's on top of Fred, trying to wake his ass up, not knowing that the nigga was drugged. He's like, knock a tell 
them to come out of the room. Uh, the dude leaves first, and as she's leaving, they put a gun to her belly, and they're telling her, they're like, oh, you know, look what we got here, or whatever. They go to the fucking room where Fred is sleeping, and I think they say something like, um, he's still like breathing, or or he's, oh, it yeah, looks like he's, he's gonna make it. That's right. Looks like, like he's gonna make it. Yeah. And they shoot him, like, twice. And they're like, well, not anymore, or some shit like that. Yeah. And I, I was like, y'all done. Y'all was, murdered this dude. It was hardcore. It was like supremely hardcore. So when y'all motherfuckers be like, oh, the government killed. Such and, then and, such, doing like, the and then like doing the history of it, you know, to know that it was 99 shots. So epilogue goes into details. It was 99 shots. And then they put that one shot. Only one shot came from the Black Panthers. However, and, and that said, shot was an accidental shot. An accidental shot from one guy dying, and he didn't even shoot them. He just shot up. Yeah. It was an accidental shot. He got shot, and as he got shot, his finger pulled the trigger and, like, didn't even touch the, the, the police. So this was, like, a f- fucking, fucking well, massacre. And then, and then that's when he, uh, Keith, yeah, you know, his um, O'Neal goes back to see Mitchell for the last time, and he's really shaken up about it. Now, apparently, what I didn't know, and this has been said, again, we don't get no deleted scenes because it's still supposedly out in theaters, so we're only seeing what we would see in theaters. But apparently, like, the original scene, they wanted to show O'Neal putting the, the powder in the drink and then making the drink and then giving it to Fred Hampton and watching him drink it and then leave. But they had just cut that for film purposes, which I think works a lot better, especially because it makes the scene sadder. Because you see just her shaking on the knockout body of uh, uh, Fred. So once it gets to that, his reward for all of this, for all of this, for being involved with the murder of somebody. Was the equivalent to today's, no, time out. He's the owner of 7-Eleven. Yeah, they give him money and they give him keys to a gas station that he now owns. Okay. Um, he fucking, of course, he takes everything. Uh, and then you find out that he continued to be a fucking snitch. And he made up to 200,000. 200, what would a, what is the equivalent to 200,000 for now? So back yeah. then it was, of course, a lot less than that. So this dude was like risking his life and snitching on his brothers and sisters. For really chump change, I guess. Back, I mean, I guess you can't. I guess if it's an equivalent to two hundred thousand dollars, I guess it's not really chump change. Well, it's so living, especially because the gas station. The gas station is the main thing. Yeah, and then he made money off of that, so because everybody needs fucking gas. So, um, so after the film goes off and, and shit, like they show like you know, title what happened and. Apparently, they sued uh, for $47.6 billion or some shit like that. And they were only awarded like $1.85 million. And it yeah, took like 12 fucking years. That was for all the survivors years. within that household. Huh? That was for all the survivors within that yeah, household. That was, yeah, that was for all the survivors. People. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah, she think- gave birth 25 days after Fred fucking died as well, so... 
Yeah, that's, um, that one hit hard, man. That, that fun. And then, yeah. you know, you, you see the real interview with the real William O'Neill. And I feel like the other two times where they shut the interview, we didn't need to see what Keith Sandfield talked about it. I feel like those scenes you could have taken out because they really didn't add much, right? But um, that last scene you do need where he talks about it, and then you can see he just doesn't want to look into the camera. And then he just, you know. They asked ask him, like, what did you tell your son or some shit like that? He would say I was part of the struggle. And then, then that's when you find out that like he committed suicide on the day that the special was supposed to air. Apparently he did it via, like, driving on the wrong side of the road. He, he did a vehicular suicide. But apparently he had tried, like, regular hanging that same day when I was going to air. But anyway, so he kills himself at a very young age. Roy Mitchell dies just 20 years, like, out of 10 years afterwards because apparently Roy Mitchell felt, felt really bad about it. So that's why I just don't like – because Mitchell's dead. You know, Mitchell is dead. And Mitchell had a history of working on cases, civil rights cases, from what I've read, and finding out the truth of what happened to him. And so for him to all of a sudden do that last act change, especially when he's no longer with us, and supposedly he felt really guilty about the shit that he had to put O'Neill through, it kind of makes it feel like you should have just kept him as a safe character. I'm not saying, you know, I feel like it was one of those things where you tried to be too, too pro-black to where you were just, like, vilified the white guy who was a really complex character who really made a lot of work on Because it's not like he was just automatically racist. Because, like I said, he had a fatherly-son relationship with O'Neill, and even they acknowledge it in the movie with just that line of dialogue. But I wish they would have focused on it more. But, yeah, epilogue happens, the song happens, so it's an okay song, but yeah, dude, this, this ending hit me hard, man. I just had to go to sleep after watching it. And not because it was boring, but it was just like, bro, this... I watched it when it came out at 2 a.m. And I was like, bro, I'm not going to be in the mood to do anything, so I need to just sleep now. Because it just... It's a, it's a gut punch of a movie. Dude. No, yeah, it really is. And it's crazy because, like... um, You know, Viri don't really care for movies like this and shit but like she watched it she saw the ending and shit and like she was like damn that was fucked up um and she didn't know it was based like off of real life events so um i didn't know it was based off real life events like because like i said i don't watch trailers i try not to watch trailers i just knew i was gonna watch everything that hbo max dropped minus the fucking musical um which is why hector you do need to watch um tom and jerry (laughs) um it's not that bad of a movie, to be honest with you. I mean, it's not great, but it's not that bad. Of a movie. Um, so yeah, like like I said, like like we said earlier, you're not taught about a lot of Black history in school, right? Because they pick and they pick and choose. You get the basic. Um, you get the basic five dollar, like two dollars. Yeah, start. pretty much, right? They they pick and choose what Black people are. The most influential and the most important. Um, so I didn't know anything about the story up until maybe a week before it released. Um, and my, my, cause my uncles already knew about it and they knew, you know, the history and stuff. So they, they're kind of the ones who clued me in that it was based off a real story. And so I decided to, you know, 
um, at least look up the who was like involved. So I kind of knew like the people within, but I just didn't know the full story because, like I said, I didn't want to ruin the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, man, like it, it fucking it sucks that that happened. It sucks. Uh, like, it was like a good movie that was like an extreme ass whooping, but it was it was a good movie. Yeah, and like was, that ending scene was just. It was like he said, it was kind of gut-riching. Um, I did have a little bit of hope, though, because, you know, you do see where, uh, you do see where, you know, his son is the leader of, like, this new of the Cub Panther Scouts and things of that nature. Um, something that they didn't put in the movie, which I thought was kind of, I don't know how to feel about it. I think they wanted to have a happy ending, so that's why they ended it on that note, the son being the leader of, like, the Cub Scouts, or, like, the Cub Scouts of the Black Panthers. Uh-huh. The thing that they don't acknowledge is that apparently every year uh, Fred Hampton's gravestone gets shot at by cops, and each year it has like different like bullet holes or bullet damages to it. And this is it's like, like why? Why? Why are you so threatened by this man? Yeah, it's just crazy, and I think you know I think the movie structured it well. You know, I they're not gonna obviously. They did it well because they don't have to get into Fred Hampton's flaws because that's not wasn't the case. You know, it's, just, it's not saying he's a perfect man, but the way how they frame it is you're watching it from um, William O'Neill's perspective. So William O'Neill's not going to see everything, you know? Yeah. You know, it's not, you know, so it's not like, and it's not a it's autobiography of the situation, but it's more of an autobiography about uh, Bill than it is William. Oh, wait, Bill, than it is Fred. Fred. And that's just, I mean, I was going to say it's because Fred's dead, but when you think about it, they're both dead, so. They're both dead. Yeah, um, So, yeah, I'm just, um, yeah, nine out, eight out of ten. So close to getting the nine, but too many elements got in the way of getting the nine out of ten. But, yeah, it was, it was a really good movie, and uh, I think it's probably going to get either matched or beaten by Congress Godzilla. Which I cannot wait for. So, uh, this is the third movie. Um, <laughs> my cousin just saw Little Things and he thought it was the greatest thing ever. Uh, so, we have Tom and Jerry coming up. Uh, that's the last movie of February. Um, March, and comes. March comes and we have the Snyder Cut. What else is in March? Uh, Kong vs. Godzilla. And then Mortal Kombat. And then Mortal, well, Mortal Kombat's in April. In April? Okay. So, so those yeah, will so be the next four. I movies. think the other one's the, in the Heights of Time Deal, but again, we told you off in the beginning we're skipping that one. Yeah, fuck, fuck that movie. Um, and then I gotta finish fucking Elimination Chamber if you wanna hop on hop on that with me as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that that, that is the movie. Really like I said, 8 out of 10. I enjoyed it. Um, school school systems, you got to do better with teaching fucking black history. Like I don't, I just, just teach teach it more. You know, fuck fuck these pilgrims and Indians and shit like that. I don't care about that no more, nigga. Right? You came, you killed, you conquered. We 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 should not revere you as a fucking war hero if you came and stole yeah, something. No, Christopher Columbus should not be celebrated. Mm, Christopher Columbus is a is the fucking pedo, and you know. Just, yeah, he was the original Epstein, bro. On God. 
Oh Don't. my god, yeah, the new world was his island and everything. He was the original Epstein. Yeah, yeah, you don't need that shit. Um, yeah, that's gonna be it for me. Yeah, so I'll let Hector get back to his his uh his duties, <laughs> and uh, I'll get to starting on going to sleep. <laughs> uh, this will be uploaded Friday, so like I said, a lot of, uh, I'm gonna upload the podcast Friday. So, yep, I'm out. This is uh, Hector and DJ, and we'll see y'all in the next one.